You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. I'm Helen Farmer. This is the Farmer's Kitchen podcast, your slice of delicious chat every single week. Brought to you by Spinneys. We were in conversation with Queen of the Grill, Melissa Cookston. She's coming to the UAE. She was speaking to us from Memphis, talking about the art of barbecue from spicing to smoke and some easy wins for you getting your grill on this weekend. Also getting a little taste of Provence with Chef Sylvia Noel of Drift. We were taking you to Peru via a vegan menu at Barfly and catching up with the fantastic gut health coach, Tia Meyer. What do you need to know about what's going in and coming out of your body? You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. It's Friday. It is all about food, of course, and prepare to feel very hungry indeed. Prepare to feel inspired to fire up the barbecue as we speak to Melissa Cookson, the first female inducted into the Barbecue Hall of Fame. She's a seven-time world barbecue champion. She even has her own non-profit called World Junior Barbecue League and is the author of two books. She's been on TV, she's now on radio, and she's coming to the UAE as part of the Open Fire Food Festival by Steve Harvey. That is coming up at the end of February. I was going to say good afternoon, Melissa, but you're speaking to us from the States, and it's the morning there. How are you? I'm well. I've got coffee in hand, so we're all good. Good woman. Well, thank you so much for your time. I am so honored to speak to you because I feel like you've had such a rich career and I've got so much that you can be teaching us about your love of food and maybe some practical tips as well. Can we start at the very beginning though? Where did you grow up? Who was cooking and who got you into barbecue? Yeah. Um, So I'm from the Mississippi Delta, which is along the Mississippi River down in Mississippi. And there is where blues music was found. And if you know anything about blues music, it's very soulful. Uh, In that area, the land is rich. The artwork is colorful. And that's what I wanted my food to emulate. I wanted all that um, in in one flavor profile that just knocked you out of the park. (laughs) And who was cooking for you when you were growing up? Are there any dishes or smells that take you back to your childhood? Well, um, I wouldn't say I come from a family of cooks. You know, I, I come from a very poor background where we raised what we ate. We slaughtered our own hogs. We had our own smokehouse. So really that was my first induction into, uh, you know, learning about proteins, how they break down Mm -hmm. uh, the different cuts. Uh, And, you know, a smokehouse is obviously used the weather. So it was the coldest time of the year, but the smell of that smokehouse, even in the summertime, anytime was, was of hickory wood which, you know, we knew was was good food. Melissa, it's one thing to enjoy food and have respect for ingredients, another thing to turn it into your life. Tell us about those first steps becoming a pit master and a chef. Yeah, sure. So um, I've been in the restaurant business over 40 years, which is kind of dating myself, but um, always had a love of food. And when I started dating my husband, I was older, uh, but it's been a long time now. And he in college had really kind of dabbled in barbecue competitions. And I didn't really know there was a such thing. So on one of our first dates, he took me to a barbecue competition, which really appealed. Love it. Yeah. Marry him immediately. (laughs) Yes. It really appealed to my competitive nature as well as my dude. So, you know, and walking around and looking, I thought, you know what, I can do this. So he let me. What? 
So you went on to eclipse then the people that you first started out and, and were inspired by. Now, can we talk about competitions? Because you're known as the winningest woman in barbecue. Tell us a little bit about what it takes to compete in barbecue competitions. What are the judges looking for? And what do you think has given you the edge over the years, Melissa? You know, I was so naive in the beginning. I didn't realize that people were buying commercial products and adding a little bit to it and making mm-hmm. their own. I started out from scratch. I went to the grocery and I got all the spices and seasonings and made my own rubs, made my own sauces, but they were original. They were different from everybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that gave me a competitive edge. Uh, you know, it, it's one thing in, in competition barbecue, uh, you know, I was, I was traveling the U.S. Um, and I would compete 35 weekends a year. Um, you know, I would be East Coast to West Coast in, in three days. Um, you know, pulling a big barbecue rig. And, you know, I was um, known for cooking whole hog. So that means you put the whole hog from the head to the tail on the grill and cook it. Now, you know, we're judged on um, area and personal appearance, appearance of the entry. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the primary factors are flavor and tenderness. Uh, you know, that's really, and as, as a judge on TV, um, you know, it's got to look good, but, you know, that's kind of an aside for me. I mean, it can be a hot mess on a plate <laughs> if it tastes good and it has great texture. I'm a texture eater. I love good textures. Mouthfeel. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And so tell us then a little bit about that translation to TV. You've been on so many TV shows. How do you feel like being in the public eye has influenced your career, Melissa? What's that been like over the years? <laughs> I'm what they call an introverted extrovert. I hate being on camera. I hate um, putting myself forward. Um, I just like being in the back and cooking. You know, at my restaurant, I'm very, I I hate going to the front of the house where the guests are. I like being in the kitchen, Uh, you know, and and that's, that's my love. That's, that's my passion. Um, So, you know, it's, it's obviously, you know, when you're on TV, it's, it's great for your businesses. Um, but you know, it's not my favorite thing to do. <laughs> not your happy place. You'd rather be, no. the scenes. <laughs> but that, then that takes us to the cookbooks. You've written two now smoking in the boys room. Amazing title. I smoking hot in the South. What's it like trying to bring together recipes and inspiration and bring in some education as well? You know, food photography is so, so important. And to be able to put your name on something that, you know, could be a legacy. It sounds like it's been a real labor of love over the years. What is it that you enjoy about the cookbooks? You know, um, developing new sauces is, is, is really what I love to do. Um, glazes, sauces, uh, that's, you know, I, you can find me over a hot stove, um, you know, cutting peaches, peeling peaches, uh, that, that to me is is one of the most surreal places that I can be dealing with the very core ingredients that we use is is what I love. I love traveling the world to find new ingredients to incorporate into barbecue. You know, I'll go find a cashew apple um, and obviously we don't have those here in the States. So you have to you have to travel far and then take that cashew apple, which is very rarely used to make a glaze or a sauce with. Um, I love using indigenous ingredients to, um, you know, foreign places in, in my barbecue. So, you know, there could be worse jobs than traveling the world, looking for new ingredients to, to make food. 
Well, you're going to have some fun in the Middle East. We've got some amazing spices here, you know, whether it's, you know, coming through from different trade routes and things you're indigenous to here. So you need to get to the spice souks when you come to the UAE, Melissa. You're going to be, oh, it's going to be bliss for you. And I think this idea of education must be something that's really important as well. This idea of sharing and whether that is to do with history of barbecue or even the geographical locations. I was completely naive to this until an ex-boyfriend went to the States and he was talking about Texas barbecue versus Memphis barbecue. And I was like, I, my head was completely spinning. Um, do you feel like there are anything that is perhaps you know specific to your technique that you think this is who I am, this is what I'm representing? Well, um, first to the your earlier point, I got goosebumps when you were talking about coming um, to the UAE and and, and working with those spices. Um, you know, I've never been. That's one of the places I've never been. And, you know, I uh, just visited the Turkish spice market in Istanbul and was blown away. So I can't wait to yes. get there. We'll go shopping. Oh, <laughs> yes, yes. Let's please do. Um, I think that when you're talking about barbecue in the U.S., we have four primary regions. We have the Carolinas, which is very vinegary. We have the Kansas City style, which is more sweet. Mm-hmm. And then we have the Texas style. Um, which is, you know, salt, pepper, um, maybe a little bit of heat. But the Memphis style, not only does it split the U.S. geographically, but we pull from all those regions. So you have the vinegar, you have the sweet, you have the salt and the pepper and the, and the, and the spice. So, you know, Memphis style barbecue is what I gravitated to because it's so full flavored. And, you know, being able to taste something from the tip of your tongue to the back of your throat mm-hmm. in any food, is 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 that utopian bite but in barbecue it's so hard to do but it's you know it's it's my passion oh Melissa cooks in there making us feel oh so hungry we'll be coming back with more chat in just a few minutes including her quick easy wins for barbecuing this weekend this is farmer's kitchen on dubai i 103.8 with spinnies eat well Live well. Helen Farmer with you in Farmer's Kitchen. We love introducing you to inspirational people. Sometimes they are homegrown heroes from the UAE. Sometimes they're from the other side of the pond. Melissa Cookston is known as the wingingest woman. Uh, she is a queen of the grill. Uh, she's won numerous competitions. She's a judge. She's an author. Um, and Melissa, I wanted to ask you about barbecuing at home, especially women barbecuing at home. Sometimes we get elbowed out of the backyard. Can you give us some good, quick, easy wins? for getting on the grill this weekend. Absolutely. You know, um, cooking on open fire is is my love. Um, and when you're cooking on open fire, I think a lot of people use too much fuel. You don't need a lot of fuel. That's not always better. Um, you know, only use a small amount of fuel. Add more if you need to. Uh, and I think you will find that barbecuing in the backyard is so much easier. Mm-hmm. You know, I try to stay out of my kitchen as much as possible and take everything outside from the sides to the desserts to the proteins or the, or the, um, you know, the main meat on the plate. I think that um, intimidation of cooking with fire should be removed. And that's what I always try to teach. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter what happens, it's going to be good <laughs> and edible, you know? Um, so really think about what charcoal you're using, what wood you're using, Keep a spray bottle in hand in case those flames get get um, out of control. Mm-hmm. But don't be intimidated by it because it is so much fun. It's so much better for you. And, um, you know, it's it's 
it's it's lovely. You can bring your whole family out to help and it, I, it creates community. I think that's so true when we think about the spirit of barbecue and how it does bring people together. It's often celebratory. You know, we have these special occasions and it's primal as well. You know, we kind of think about smoke being this, you know, original ingredient, you know, that so many different cultures use in different ways and interpret in different ways. So so thank you for, for sharing that. Now, you said it's always going to be good. I wanted to ask you about sins against barbecue. Is there anything you find yourself just, whether it's a judge on TV or, you know, in someone else's kitchen, you're like, oh, why did you do that? You're breaking my heart. You're ruining ingredients. Anything we is an absolute no-no on the grill. Yeah. So um, one thing is, is uh, I said, I'm a texture eater. Um, you know, I, we have a saying here, don't cook it to death. Um, and that just means don't overcook it. You know, things shouldn't be falling off the bone. They should have a good mouthfeel. They should have some texture unique to um, their identity. So obviously there are different textures with different proteins, different sides, but you know, make it make it a good texture. The other thing is treat smoke just like salt. Use it as an ingredient. Don't over smoke. You don't want to over salt. Don't over smoke. You want to be able to taste the protein that you're cooking. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, back off and 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 taste that protein, but use smoke as an accent and make it um, absolutely, you know, incredible, just like you would salt, pepper, or any other spice. That's a really, really good comparison. I think a lot of people, you know, it, it can dominate. And as you say, you know, if you're lucky enough to have great produce, then it doesn't need it. What about great sides when you're barbecuing? What do you love to see on the plate or on the buffet? Well, in the Memphis area, you know, it's baked beans and coleslaw. That's that's kind of the the two sides that that you think of in in the Memphis market. But you know, there are so many you know great sides. I've started making poblano cream corn. Um, of course, macaroni and cheese. There are so many great cheeses. Um, the creaminess factor is 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 so good, mm-hmm. um, you know. But but don't forget about the desserts. I mean, you can cook a coconut cake on a grill. Oh, and there's a coconut cake on the grill, Melissa. That sounds absolutely blissful. <laughs> oh, if you know, toasting coconut is very common. Mm-hmm. But think about smoking coconut. I mean it. Just that hint of smoke just just really accentuates the sweetness. Um, you know, put put pineapples on the grill, peaches on the grill, bring a little uh, cayenne pepper with it. So you get the sweet, you get the heat, you know, just a pinch of salt and you elevate those simple foods to the next level. Oh, Melissa, we're so excited for you to be here. It's going to be about a month until you appear at the Open Fire Food Festival. Steve Harvey bringing you here as well. As I said, it's going to be your first time in the UAE. What can we expect from your appearance? Um, what are you What are you working on behind the scenes now to to show the good and hungry people of the Middle East? Oh, I'm coming to steal, huh? I, I come steal all your flavor profiles, all your spices. <laughs> I'm I'm coming totally. Um, I'm not bringing finding anything. mission. Love it. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, and I'll bring that back, and uh, you know, create some great recipes using ingredients that are indigenous to your area. Uh, well, thank you so much for your time today. I said earlier, your only job during our conversation was to make us hungry, but my goodness you've more than more than exceeded our expectations, Mr. Cooks. And thank you so much for sharing your passion for this food. And it's going to be an absolute pleasure. Hopefully we get to meet when you come to the UAE end of February 24th, 25th for that Food Festival. In the meantime, I'm going to let you have your morning coffee. 
get back to your cookbooks um, and enjoy your time. You're working on Netflix's Barbecue Showdown. I know you never stop and really excited to have you in this part of the world. Thank you. Thank you so much. And remember, you're taking me shopping. We are. Spice soups, you and me. <laughs> yes. yes. So thank you. It's been an absolute thank pleasure. You. Take care. Bye now. Bye-bye. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We love introducing you to the chefs and always very grateful when they're able to make it into the studio, especially on a Friday afternoon when in Chefland it's very busy, especially at this time of year, especially when the chef is from Drift Beach Club at the one and only, one of the hottest spots in town. Chef Sylvia Noel, how are you, sir? Well, well, thank you for having me. My pleasure. Thank you for being with us. Now, you have worked all over the world and we're going to talk about Drift soon, but I want to talk about you first. Where do you hail from in France? Where exactly? I'm from a west coast on a, on a seashore. It's called La Rochelle, uh, about an hour and a half north of Bordeaux. Um, Good food? Yes, amazing seafood, um, fish, fresh fish, uh, of course, oysters from uh, Marino Leron, lots of oyster mussels. So yeah, really, uh, that's why driven to, to seafood and fresh uh, fresh fish. Did you did you just grow up thinking that this food was, was normal and then you didn't realise how lucky you were to have um, such amazing produce until you met people like me who <laughs> didn't have an oyster until they were 30? <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I'm, I'm coming from a... a a family of uh, restaurateurs, so um, I grew up in in a business. This was so for your me, yeah. So for me, it was it was uh, normal until till you go to school and some of your friends never ate uh, that uh, item or this uh, this mm. uh, uh, seafood, you know. Because uh, so yeah, for me, it's, it was normal. Uh, You've worked in New York, Massachusetts, in Michelin-style restaurants. You've been to St. Bart's. You were really instrumental in Nikki Beach internationally as well. Mm-hmm. What do you think you've learned from your travels, your mentors, and even you know, the ingredients that you've in- encountered globally, Chef? Um, to um, ingredients, as you just learned about, uh, to, it was early 2000, so we didn't have internet, social media. So I arrived and I learned like lots of new ingredients. Now chefs, they can they have everything in their, in their pocket. But uh, uh, so I really like from, coming from France, first time you try um, coriander or cilantro or first time you try new spice, it's like, wow. Uh, and for people, it's just to um, different. Not everybody is uh, working like us. Not everybody is like us. So patience mm. uh, and respect, because uh, not everybody has the same uh, culture. So well, that's a good point. You know, we think about kitchens. You know, so many different nationalities, so many different levels of training, and you know, different ways of training. You know, in France, obviously, if you've done the traditional, trans, you know, French cordon bleu, you know, you've gone through some of the. It's very precise. People draw parallels all the time between, you know, French kitchens and Japanese kitchens, you know, the, the precision. And then you can go somewhere and go, well, why do you, why aren't you doing it my way? Yeah. <laughs> but that's when it's interesting because you uh, find uh, cook all over the world that actually are inspired and, uh, and wants to learn uh, what for us is normal. And for them, it's, uh, and it's different, but they, they really want to learn a lot. So it's nice. Like it's a uh, opportunity. Yes. Yeah. Chef Sylvia Noel was us today from Drift Beach Club, one and only just over the road. We're going to be talking next about it as a dining destination as well as a beach club. What is on the menu? And yes, you can play Petanque too. We're t- talking Provencal Bites and so much more on the show today. Helen Farmer with you on Dubai Eye 103.8. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well.
I would be nice to be spending our Friday afternoons at Drift Beach Club, wouldn't it? Because coming your way this evening, they've got Le Partie Francais, there is the business lunch and all sorts happening there. Courtesy of the gentleman in the hot seat now, Chef Sylvian Noel from Drift Beach Club. Over the road, Royal Mirage one and only. Now, here's my problem with eating at a beach club. It's the bikini bloat. So how do you do this? How do you make sure that everyone is well fed and happy, but they're still, you know, happily posing for the gram, chef? Well, we're using uh, good products, and uh, also we we have uh, we're for everybody. So if you just want a, a Niçois salad, uh, which is going to be a low calorie and. Uh, uh, you know, still have some protein. You can. Uh, we have lots of uh, vegetarian uh, crudité or lots of uh, uh, healthy option. Uh, you don't have to go for the pasta and the pizza, I even mean, if I recommend it. But. Well, I, I went to Beach Club last weekend and had a bowl of chips. So, <laughs> you know, enjoy and eat what you want to eat. So the, the influence is very much Provencal. Yes. So in terms of the ingredients, I want you to make me hungry. Let's Let's forget the bikinis and the posing and the abs and the Instagram. What dish are you most proud of and what do you think people should be eating when they come to Drift? We, uh, we are Provencal, but we're also like very uh, French and uh, um, lots of people don't realize that we are more than a beach club. We are like also restaurants, uh, like a really French restaurant where you can have like uh, escargot, you can have a, a Dover sole, for example, like a beautiful, I think that's my favorite because where I'm from, uh, it's like a... Uh, Used to eat it. My grandma used to make it. So it's a Dover sole um, with butter and capers, lemon, and the the waiter just uh, filling in front of you, yeah. uh, and that's uh, just a beautiful fish uh, and uh, not not too many calories. And uh, so I think that's uh, what I will. Uh, uh, recommend uh, you can play patonk for yeah. anyone who's not familiar with patonk <laughs> uh, what is it and how can you win it at chef uh, patonk is from south of france it's like a, i think in u.s they call bolshe balls uh, it's you have a, a smaller um uh, wood uh, cochonnet and you just need to be the closest with your um, metal uh, ball. So whether it's a two pair and you have to just be the closest to, to the small one. Um, we do it every uh, Friday night. It's part of the aperitif. So we have lots of bites with it uh, from south of France, um, like panis and soca, which really, really uh, traditional from the south of France. Uh, we have a French DJ. We play all night uh, 80s and 90s uh, French uh, music. So it's really, really nice uh, atmosphere. What time? Can I come at five o'clock? Yeah. Five o five after y- the show. <laughs> yes, yes, for sunset, exactly. Uh, sunset uh, from five uh, till uh, until you, you have enough. Not possible. I wanted to ask you lastly about seasonality because, you know, a lot of the produce is coming from Europe, a lot of the inspiration is coming from Europe, uh, where it's probably more your stews and your winter warmers and, you know, that kind of winter food. But mm-hmm. in January in Dubai, it's sunny. We want to be outside and maybe we want to eat eat light. How do, how do you think about seasonality when you're putting together the menu? We go we go with uh, France and Europe. I, I think people who live in Dubai for, for so long like us. Um, I mean, when it's 17 degrees outside, you put a jacket. I'm and, wearing a coat right now. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we have like uh, the cheese, like if you are in a, in a, in a mountain, we do special uh, event for the French with raclette. And uh, uh, so we do, uh, we do, we go with the seasonality of, of Europe um, because, yeah, the People from Dubai, I think they, they just, uh, for me, it's winter right now. So. I know, right? It is. It's cold. It is, yeah. I had my heated seat on. 
Chloe in the booth, who's from Australia, has only been in Dubai less than a month. She thinks I'm insane for having my, my heated seats on. It's cold when you do the school run at six o'clock in the morning. It's cold. And I stand by it. So if you want to feed me some, from some stew, I'd be happy. Equally, sunshine, afternoon, this was salad, glass of something cold, sunset. Sounds pretty great to me. So tonight, party uh, from sunset and then all the weekend through, you're looking after people, chef. Yes, yeah, and you can play petanque every day of the night, not only uh, Friday, you can come and, and just uh, enjoy the petanque. So, Chef Sidian, thank you so much for leaving your beautiful office at uh, the one and only Royal Mirage Drift Beach Club. Thank you, Chef, so, so much. Thank you for having me. Get back over there and look after people who are lucky enough to be not working this afternoon. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Are you dabbling in veganuary? Uh, have you gone full vegan? Are you thinking about some plant-based swaps? Or just curious about how chefs are getting creative in the kitchen? We're speaking now to Chef Renzo Reyes, head chef at Barfly at Buddha Bar. It is this rooftop supper club, brilliant views, bar, restaurant at Hilton, Dubai, Palm Jumeirah. I was going to say Happy New Year, but yeah, Happy New Year. How's 2024 treating you, chef? Lovely, lovely. Thank lovely. you, Helen. Well, I love the idea of chefs being challenged you know in terms of breaking out of the menu that you might be serving day in day out you've got a menu that's just launched marking veganuary and it sounds like you've been having a lot of fun with it are you vegan yourself before we talk about that menu no i need to confess (laughs) i need to confess i'm not vegan um i'm i tried to put myself once into for a month to try to be vegan and it didn't work out (laughs) you're peruvian yes so is, is, is plant-based a thing in Peru or not so much? So we, for example, one of the dishes that we try to, to make, of course, as a Peruvian, is I try to make one ceviche. So we have one vegan ceviche and our uh, special vegan. Yeah. What, with what? So basically we replace a little bit of fish with some, let's say, with, with a meaty texture. In this case, we use the mushrooms, a lovely mushrooms. Uh, we are using actually a local source from fresh on table. So we're using their mushrooms in order to to have something um, meaty there. Then, of course, the lime and so on. In the leche de tigre, we make it with a, a version that is, doesn't include fish. So we replace that, for example, for some kombu and to have some uh, another umami sauce, plus a good lime and then a lot of love, and that's it. Because I often think about whether it's vegans or allergies, you know, p- you know, people coming in, into the kitchen or speaking to their server and saying, you know, I can't eat this, what else can the chef do? You know, how interesting that is for you guys to be faced with a challenge of finding a replacement, whether that's taste or texture. How much research, how much kind of R&D were you doing before you got to the final, the final barfly vegan menu? Okay, to be honest, is the big challenge, especially when you are not a vegan person. Um, you are always trying to find a way to make the the dish enough uh, rich on flavor and enjoyable. So that's that's when it, the challenge came because you, it's very difficult in your mind to replace protein that has a specific uh, flavor or. A specific, a specific texture. Mm-hmm. So then is when it comes the the most, also the most, the, the where is all the fun on the to try to replicate the things. And it's the flavor. It's not just doing it for the sake of it. I mean, you can you can do that and say we're doing a vegan menu and you know 
tick that box, but it's about doing it well. And I guess kind of celebrating some of the flavors and not compromising on who you are, if that makes sense. When when you think about your philosophy to, to food and how you communicate that through your menu year round, how do you think that comes across at Barfly? What are you about on the plate? So for me, is what I always try to do is to be very honest with the food. Uh, I try to to make the flavors, uh, to enhance the flavors on the way that they will. Okay, for me, especially when I create a dish, I have like two sides. Of course, the, the part of the flavors in order to use uh, ingredients that highlight in the sustainability, of course, which is something that is very important. And we all need to be aware about that, mm-hmm. especially in a big city like this. And the other side is about the story that we want to try, we want to tell with the dishes that we are creating. And take people on a journey with you, I guess. Exactly. Like, let's talk about some of the dishes. Your job for the next few minutes, chef, is to make us hungry. We talked about the cevete, which has got mushrooms, cucumber, baby corn, chili, of course, your take on leche tigre. Yes. Um, what else? And I think about the, the main courses can be quite challenging. I think about vegetarian dishes. Historically, it was like, here you go, here's a risotto, here's a portobello mushroom. Like, that was it for decades. And now I feel like that's, that's changed a lot. So what kind of mains are you serving up? So, for example, in this specific menu, we're having a lovely cauliflower that we're doing a, on a sous vide. So just to be sure that it's cooked on the perfect temperature. So it's like it's not too soft and it's not too hard as well. Mm-hmm. So it's very enjoyable. And like, then, like a steak? Exactly. So we try, we grill it on the jasper in order to get this smoky flavor. And then uh, we use, in this case, a Peruvian chili that the name is uh, panca chili. That is one of my favorite ingredients. So we make a sauce then, uh, with that that we call it anticuchera. That is a very, um, the story behind that is a sauce that is normally used on a, for the street food. So it's like I'm trying also to put a little bit of myself on that. Mm-hmm. Then we put a, a lovely pumpkin puree, again, locally sourced. Which I, is, just, uh, I just tried it, it was delicious. Yeah, <laughs> I like it also. That's why I put them there, because it's, it's, it was really nice. And it's a good blend, you know. And then, of course, uh, I think it's what, that's one of my favorites. Then, of course, we have some mushrooms uh, sushi besides on that. Sushi is on the kind of the normal menu. How have you done a, a vegan take on sushi, chef? Yeah, well, we are doing actually, we are playing a little bit more with the, with fermentation and also with a little bit of... Uh, combine the flavors on pickles. So, for example, the roll that we brought today also is, is uh, using, for example, the daikon that we make a pickle with the daikon and we order vegetables in order to have something a little bit more interesting. And then we play with the vegetables. We have a nice uh, combinations there. What about dessert? Do we leave room for dessert? Yes. So, for example, we, did a, we have a mousse. We are doing a coconut mousse. That, of course, there is no egg at all. So we are replacing that using a little bit of our lovely uh, molecular cuisine. So we're using a little bit of Santana, which is coming from the tapioca. So in order to get the texture. And so it's like it's a lovely uh, coconut uh, yogurt that we are making. From this must that. be good for people with allergies as well. Some of these swaps. Yes. yes. So this and I, I should just say. 195 dirhams per person. So really good opportunity to come and try your food, I think, at a very, very good price. Um, and I think 
a nice chance for non-vegans to have a little a little dabble in some of your plant-based creations. This is on until just the end of the month, is that right? Yes, we are going to be with this menu until the end of the month, of course. Uh, I will re- highly recommend you to come and try it because it's something that, yes, sometimes when we said vegan, maybe we cannot feel that attracted, especially from my perspective as a non-vegan person. It's a dedicated carnivore. <laughs> but uh, uh, please, you, you need to give it a try. Uh, you know, like, and then of course uh, we have the ceviche. Well, I will always insist of that as a Peruvian. Chef, thank you so <laughs> much for your time today. It sounds like you guys have really been thinking about this in terms of obviously the nutrients, but most importantly the flavour. Um, so great chance to go along. Vegan set menu for Veganuary, Bar Fly, but the bar there at the gorgeous uh, Hilton Dubai Palm Jumeirah. If you want details, you can just send me the word vegan. Be happy to send you the links. You can find out more. Thank you for coming in on a Friday. You've got to get back to the kitchen now. Yes, we need go. to go back to get ready to the service. Thank you, Helen. Chef, yeah, Renzo, thank you so, so much. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Joining us in studio for your gut health clinic is holistic gut health coach Tina Ma with us today. She is the woman whose most used emoji is the poop emoji. Is that fair? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you for being with us. Um, we are not afraid of a gut chat today and we're already messages coming in. Um, before we get to some of the hot topics that you know people are coming to you with for some advice and coaching and obviously what's, what's happened on social media as well. Tell us a little bit about you. You know, when you think about your, your mission with your work and I guess the origin mm. story for that here, where did it all begin? Oh my gosh, it probably started about like seven years ago when I very much was like dealing with so many chronic health issues, right? So I had food sensitivities, I was getting chronic bloating, my bowel movements were a little bit abnormal, I also had cystic acne and a whole range of like hormonal issues and to add to that as well for any of the ladies that are listening, I also was struggling with vaginal health infections and I was just going around in circles trying to figure out out what was happening well there's the figuring out bit and then there's all the medicating part as well and that must be must have fed into more problems yeah absolutely I mean I was given a year's worth of antibiotics for acne I was just being given pill after pill and being told oh we don't know what's wrong with you Mm. and the the frustration and the psychological impact of that on me was just obviously like well I lost this kind of connection to my body because I was like, wow, everybody's telling me that there's nothing wrong with me. Mm. And yet I know that there's so much going on in my physical body. Um, So that's kind of where it all started for me. And then when I started to really do the research into things, I was like, oh my gosh, all of this really is connected to my gut health. And I am really, as you mentioned there, like my mission really is to to get the word out that about 90% of chronic diseases stem from a gut imbalance. And when we're thinking about gut health, it's not just about what we're putting into mm-hmm. our body. It's about what is already there. And yeah. even genetic components as well, perhaps? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the thing. Like when we're, when we're born, we actually consume the microbiome from our mom when we're born into this world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have clients that have suffered with things from when they were a child, like chronic constipation or diarrhea or anything along those lines. And they're there thinking, you know, I've been dealing with this for 30, 40 years. And they're like, what's actually happening? And, it's, and it is exactly what you just said, that the gut microbiome, so basically all of the microbes and the bacteria and viruses that we house, the 38 trillion of them that are in our colon, right? That's a lot, Whoa. right? 
we're actually more bacteria and viruses than we are human cells. So we have to come at this from the from the aspect of okay how am I dealing and how am I navigating and how am I actually looking after these guys? Mm -hmm. And can I ask then, do many of your clients live Mm. in pain and discomfort for years, Mm. kind of thinking it's normal? Mm. Oh God, like everyone that comes through my door is like I've spent, it could be five years dealing with chronic bloating where they literally look six months pregnant, right? They could wake up in the morning and have some water and they're just like out (sighs) to here. Or they have food sensitivities that literally ruin their life they go out to restaurants they have something and they're they have to run to the toilet well i think uh, i often this is a very weird comparison to make but i think about kind of gut health and eye health being quite similar and that when you've got good eye health you just take it for granted mm. and it's the same if you if you've got a good digestive system you don't realize i was going to say just how crap it can be <laughs> just how terrible it can here be. for the puns helen here for the puns but you know what i mean just how how difficult it can be, you yeah. know, whether it is eating something and then, as you say, having to run to the toilet mm. or eating something and it bunging you up mm. for days and days and days. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you then, what are the, some of the common issues, whether it's content that you're putting out that's really resonating people or, as I said, people calling you and going, oh, my gosh, I can't go on. What's what's hot right now with you? Yeah, so big one is obviously chronic bloating. Um, and I think, as you just said, like a lot of people think that's normal. They think, oh, well, when they eat something, it's normal for us to, you know, literally expand out. That's one. Another really hot topic is constipation. Like I get so many clients that are like, I poop one to two times a week. And I'm like, oh, my God, because... If we ever if we get onto the topic of detoxing, like literally poop is how we detox. And we need that to be moving at least once a day in order to be able to detoxify. Mm-hmm. The other thing a lot of people are experiencing is like mood disorders. Right. So I have a lot of clients that are struggling with anxiety or um, another big one as well as hormonal imbalances. And so. They're just going around in circles and they're not really understanding that it's all linked to one key area. Tina Mart is with us in the studio today. She is a holistic gut health coach. Up next, so many people talking about detoxing in January. Is that necessary? And yeah, when it comes to poop, what's normal? You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We are busting myths we are taking your questions and we're not afraid of a bit of poop chat. Tina Marr is with us today, holistic gut health coach. So what is so-called normal when it comes to pooping? <laughs> so I, I think that it's really important to first of all talk maybe about the formation of said poop. Okay. Because some people can be pooping once a day, but that might just look like quote unquote rabbit poops, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> So um, for anybody that, that's listening, Google the um, Bristol stool chart, right? Which is an amazing kind of reference for us. And and one of the biggest things that we need to start doing is actually looking at our poop. Like I know it's something that we don't want to look at because it's not pleasant, but it's actually quite empowering for us to see and to understand that like our poop is just giving us such an insight into what's going on. So we could be flushing away important information. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. What about frequency? So I think we need to be going at least once per day. And like, I'm talking like a solid log. That's... I love how I'm like, I'm totally fine talking about poo and I'm giggling like a six-year-old. And we wanted to... um, slide on out with ease oh my God, right yeah. i know but look you brought me on to talk about poo 
Okay. Right. That's right. Bit, okay. I'm with you. I've made you uncomfortable. You I have. love this. <laughs> I, I don't often blush on the radio. <laughs> Thank goodness it's not a Facebook Live. Okay. No. We have had questions about concern from some concerned people yeah. here. So we are taking questions. Um, we're going to get a text line after half past. Mm. However, because it's January and a lot of people are like, this is a fresh start. Mm. I am going to, I ate too much cheese. <laughs> I am going to detox and cleanse my gut in January. Mm. Do we need to detoxify our gut? Yes, we do. But I think a lot of people have it wrong. I think there is this common misconception that we can cleanse out our gut by just eating vegetables and drinking juice, right? And I think that's the biggest farce because ultimately, yes, food has an impact, a huge impact on um, our gut and to be able to kill off specific strains of bacteria. But for a lot of people that are potentially struggling with gut issues, they're harboring you know, either overgrowths of yeast, potential mould, a really, really big one. Mould? Big, huge, huge one in, in Dubai. The yeah, so we actually, so the mycotoxins from mould, so we actually have a client at the moment, God love her, she has fibromyalgia, which is an autoimmune disease. She has a lot of chronic issues that she's been going back and forth to doctors with. And, um, you know, I smelled a rat with it. Me and my team were like, something's not adding up because we ran her labs and it was like, this doesn't make sense. And I said to her, I was like, have you been exposed to mold? She looked in her air convent and there was black mold everywhere. So basically the mycotoxins, I know, oh. we inhale them in. We can either inhale them in through our lungs or we can pick them up off specific foods. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's actually more common than you would think. Okay. And so for a lot of people, they then need support from, you know, functional expert to be able to like cleanse out what's happening in there. And we need to be having antimicrobials and herbs and stuff like that that actually kill off the mold. Um, and then we need to make sure that we are pooping that out because that's our main detox pathway is our colon. So it's not a case of going to the pharmacy and buying, a, you know, a bottle of pills that says you know gut gut mm. cleanse you know 200 dermes much more involved much that. more involved we've yeah. had a, a message here uh from nasa saying what does your guest think about colonics oh that's so funny actually because i had a friend message me yesterday and say she's just gone for a colonic <laughs> it, it was like a really popular thing you know 10 15 20 years ago and it was like if you eat red meat there mm. could be meat in your gut that's been there for you know, for decades, you must mm. stick this up, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I think, to be quite honest, it's like the gut microbiome is, it's a very nuanced topic and, and there's a lot of bacteria that is in your colon. Now, if we could just put water up there and kill off the bad, then great. But what we are, could potentially be doing is flushing out the whole colon. Mm. And it takes a really long time for the microbiome to actually repair itself. And so having had a colonic before, like they're not pleasant. They're really not pleasant. But some people swear by them. So I think it's really important for us to then be replenishing Mm-hmm. Right. But not just with probiotics. This is another common misconception. People are just popping probiotics like it's going to heal them. And they're forgetting also about prebiotics. Right. So probiotics are like the live strain of bacteria that go into the gut. Prebiotics feed the probiotics. And so we need to be having a lot of prebiotic fibers in order to be able to feed said probiotic. So if someone is and I know a lot of people are sick right now mm. um, being prescribed antibiotics at this mm. time, too, how can you look after your body at that time? 
same with the gut. So, yeah. you know, we might be fighting that, you know, that infection yeah. or, you know, whatever you're struggling with, but you're not going to have a knock-on effect of your health after that course has ended. Yeah, so... I think there's a lot of things that we can do. Obviously, the pre and probiotic foods. So prebiotics, some of my favorites are things like asparagus, onions, garlic. Um, You've also got like chicory root and um, artichoke. That's another really good one. But also just your fibrous vegetables are really going to kind of support the bowels to repair themselves. And then adding in those strains of probiotics to help replenish the gut flora. I think they're really important. And then another thing that I really love as well is like bone broth. So bone broth actually helps to repair our gut lining. And for those of us that have a quote unquote compromised immune system, that we may potentially be dealing with a leaky gut. Mm -hmm. And so what that actually means is that the gut lining has broken down slightly. And so when we are eating foods that have bacteria on it, which is like every day, if that gut lining is not tight, then our immune system, which is right behind the gut lining, it's like intruder alert, right? And so this is when all of these inflammatory kind of responses start to have in the body. So that's another thing I would be doing is leaning into things like bone broth, L-glutamine. I also really like... um chia chia pudding because of the mucus if you think about it like it's real kind of gluggy Mm -hmm. and that helps to like reseal the gut lining as well so those are some tips that i would suggest all right we are going to go to the text line next we are going to be asking about how much water you should really drink um no name saying why does my tummy get upset when i've got my period uh what happens after you've had food poisoning how can you repair love this from seb how can i get back to my usually ironclad viking stomach um, and a message here saying, um, when you've got consistent bowel movements, but the type on the Bristol chart varies for every movement, what can that mean? This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Tia is with us today, the holistic gut health coach. Um, I don't know if you drink coffee, but I was going to say, I hope, you, hope you're feeling caffeinated because we've got a lot. Do you drink coffee? I don't, actually. It's, I don't it's, like the flavour of it. I don't either. Yeah. It reminds me of teacher's breath. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> not all teachers, just a particular teacher I had at high school who mm. gave me the creeps. Anyway, moving on. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's the text go. Line. Okay, let's go. Kelly says, how much water should we be drinking, really? <laughs> yeah, so I would aim for about two litres of water per day with electrolytes. So we need to have trace minerals in order to be able to absorb our water efficiently. Otherwise, it just goes straight through you. It literally will. Yeah. If we, so if we're actually um, going to the toilet within an hour of drinking like 16 ounces, which is about a glass, then we're actually dehydrated. So we're not actually absorbing that. And that's actually a really big cause of constipation because there's no juice to it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that's what I would be aiming for. I like to drink two big liters and add my little dose of electrolytes in there. Any electrolytes in particular? I don't mind giving some mm-hmm. brand names a shout out if you think they're, yeah. wor- think they're worth our, our hard-earned money. Yeah, so I like Elite. So you can get that on Amazon actually. Okay. Um, and I think another one that a lot of people are using is Humantra. I, they're doing some very pushy Instagram advertising. Mm. So I've had, I've actually tried one of the flavours and it was delicious. Mm. So I did like it. But you know when something pops up too much for you and you're like, I'm, yeah. get, I'm getting annoyed at saying this now. Yeah, fair. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay, so about two litres with electrolytes, your body's actually absorbing some of those trace minerals. Yes. Okay, good to know. No name on this message saying, hi both, why does my tummy get upset when I have my period? Ooh. <laughs> so oftentimes, actually, this can be linked with 
estrogen dominance okay so this is something that I will notice or I did notice that I before I healed my gut and my hormones were in an absolute frenzy I would get PMS and so then you get like the period poops and you get like an upset stomach um, so what we want to actually be asking is why is that happening and is that happening because there is something happening um, in the luteal phase of the cycle or after you ovulate um, and how can we help the body to actually be detoxifying the Mm. excess estrogen especially around ovulation time so what's really good around ovulation time is um, raw carrot salad really really good one because that helps the liver to detoxify and also eating um, organic non-GMO soy so the phytoestrogen actually helps bind to the excess estrogen and then we poop it out Mm -hmm. and so that then causes less kind of kerfuffle when we're actually on our our period no one needs more kerfuffle no Um, a message here which we were just talking about the the Bristol chart which Mm. is about different types of poop a message here saying feel odd asking this question on there that's all right. it's a safe space you're anonymous it's fine however here we go consistent bowel movements however it varies from type 1 to type 7 one day it could be a 4 the next day 7 then type 1 sometimes after a proper movement there is a need to go again within uh, within a few minutes with mm. more urgency I don't have cramps or discomfort so I'm not sure what's going on and what I can do to make it more consistent so there's two things that I would look at here actually um, the first one would actually be the nervous system so um the mind-gut connection is a very, very real thing. Mm-hmm. And how can we actually calm our nervous system down um, in order to be able to absorb our nutrition a little bit more? The second thing I'd be looking at, and this is actually what a lot of our clients come to, it's like one second they're constipated, the next they've got diarrhea. They're actually likely harboring an infection, right? So gut infections are a very, very real thing. And... Um, a, a really, really big one at the moment is like yeast overgrowth, so a candida overgrowth. Also, parasites can be causing things like that. Parasite sounds terrifying, yeah, I know. but more common than we might realise. Oh, yeah. Like we run client labs and we see parasites, I'd say maybe 50, 60 percent of the time. And- How do you get one and what... <laughs> I just think about like there's some being like a giant worm in your gut. Do you know what I mean? I know it's like that movie Alien or something, right? Like, it's not like that. No, it's not. But we like we can pick up worms. Like we can, um, and and it can. It's literally not hard to pick up. We can get it from um, like sushi, so raw foods. We can also like this time last year, I had E. coli in my gut, which mm. is feces water. So it's really important for us to be looking after our. Um, are got here, especially in Dubai, because the water is not very clean. Um, and another one is like your pets. So Don't say that. I know. Poor little souls. I know. But that, but it can be the answer to a lot yeah. of kind of mystery symptoms. Yeah. Um, you're more than welcome to reach out on four zero zero one. We've got the app, and you can give us a call. We've got Eugenia on the line now. You've got a question about your little one. Um, you've got some. I, with, there's always poo problems when it comes to babies. What's happening with your little one? Yeah, hi, Helen. Hi. Yeah, so um, we just came back from holiday, and I don't know if it was a nappy change, but and then I was reading about uh, that probably the, the the red rash that he has at the moment is because of acidic poop. Acidic poop? I have no idea what is acidic poop. <laughs> what, what is that about? Can I ask you, what, um, how old is your little one, and what kind of you know milk formula, breastfed? How old? 16, 16 months old. And he still takes the formula, by the way. So acidic poo. So, um, so there hasn't been any change in, in, what, um, in what he's been having, Eugenia? Um, no. I mean, we just came back and, and it just suddenly started having strange poo. 
Okay. Then his his bum started become really red, like he is is burned, like burned. Oh, poor little soul, little nappy, like oh. na- like nappy rash to the extreme. So acidic poo is this something? You know, when it seems to be almost burning the skin to you. Yeah, I mean, my my strength is not in babies, unfortunately. Or fortunately. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the skin can very much get involved. It may not be the poop that's causing it. It might just be like an inflammatory response to something that's actually happening in his gut. Um I would probably go to like a functional doctor um, to, to look into that a little bit more. Eugenia, um, in terms of functional doctors, we love uh, Dr. Shafali. She's fab. Um, if you want her details, I will be happy to, to hook you up. But yeah, yeah could be please. could be one for the doctor. Um, and all the very best to you and your little one. Um, we have a message here saying, why do I have loose stools after fasting? I do intermittent fasting, um, 18 to 6. And whenever I eat fibre, go loose. Is this a male or a female? It's a, it's a female. Ooh. Okay, so I don't believe in intermittent fasting for women. And I know that's very controversial. For women who are still menstruating, right, we need to be able to find safety in our body and our specific nervous system. We have got to be eating. And so I I will give this example of a client that was spent like 30 years with um, diarrhea, basically. She came into our world and I was like, you need to eat breakfast. And within five days, it had stopped. Mm. So her body was very much, we're waking up and our cortisol is high, right? So we need that in order to wake up. And then if we're prolonging that, and usually what happens is, is we're leaning towards the coffee then. And so we're actually increasing that stress response even more. And so then when we do decide to eat a meal, the body's already in this chronic stress response, aka the nervous system is like, oh my God, what is happening? I'm running from a threat. And now suddenly, there's a big lunch going in and my body doesn't feel ready and so then we're going to get diarrhea because it's like evacuation station my body is not ready because it's still in stress response can we talk then about that mind gut connection because you've said before and it's something you're really big on um on social as well is about serotonin production and just how much is produced in the gut yeah how much so we've got about 90 percent of serotonin in the gut Wow. So we, uh, so our brain is connected to the gut via the vagus nerve, right? And so signals move from the gut to the brain. And actually 80% of the signals are moving from our gut to our brain. Like that's a lot, right? So if we have weird bugs that are floating around in our gut, they're going to be sending that signal straight to the brain. And that's another symptom that a lot of my clients have is like brain fog or forgetfulness. And that's also where the mood issues start to come in because it's like, okay, well, if if my gut is unhappy, my brain is unhappy. And also then we have like, like today, for example, I've come on here and before I had a nervous poop, right? Because I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be on the radio again. And it's like, I'm excited, but I'm also nervous. And my bowels were like, we're nervous. <laughs> and so we have to actually see our bodies as this whole thing, right? It is not just you know, oh, the brain is a separate thing and the gut is a separate thing. And so that vagus nerve, we can actually strengthen and stimulate through specific practices. And I love this, right? So like deep belly breathing, humming, singing, like any opportunity to get singing in the shower, guys, right? So that stimulation or that vibration of the cranial nerve is... um, 
it's it's actually building stress resiliency. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really, really important in this day and age because we're the most stressed out population ever, right? Like life is just bang, bang, bang. And so how can we actually start to build resiliency in our nervous system? And in turn, I think you mentioned someone came in and said, how can I get my steel gut back or yeah, something like Seb, that? Seb message saying you'd had, you'd had terrible food poisoning. Yeah. And Tummy's been a bit delicate ever since, asking, how can I get back to my ironclad Viking stomach? Yeah, literally. So it would be that. But also the other, the other question is, are, is the food poisoning gone? Mm-hmm. Right. So sometimes that can like harbor like these bugs are clever. They can bury themselves in our gut lining and our gut and they can fester. So that would be I would be looking. I would go to the doctor and get a poop test right away and find out if the food poisoning is gone because it's usually E. coli. Mm-hmm. And um, if that is still harboring, then that needs to be cleansed out. Message here for Tia saying my wife recently had a colon removed um, mm-hmm. and is having trouble putting on weight for obvious reasons. Anything you can suggest? Oh, my Gosh. Are there any any nutritionist dietitians that you work with or anything that comes to mind in terms of supporting health in that situation to you? Her colon was removed. Mm. Oh, wow. I, I can't advise on that, actually. Okay. I'm sorry. No, don't worry. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and we've had um, messages about testing, which I think is probably mm. all, the last question we can squeeze in, which is, I guess, the gold standard. Mm. You know, as we alluded to earlier, you know, so many people um, having these, you know, sensitivities, extreme bloating, discomfort, yeah. dashing off the toilet. And then you go, oh, I should get tested. Well, like, what does that look like? Yeah. You know, what what actually is, in, is involved and what should we yeah. be looking for in good testing? Yeah. results. Yeah. Okay. One thing I want to say, actually, is food sensitivity testing is huge, especially in Dubai right now. And I think it's a complete waste of money because ultimately an impaired gut lining, an impaired gut is going to react to food. Right. So what we want to be looking at is why are we reacting to food? So what my team and and I do is we run a GI map. So it's a stool test and it's going to be looking for things like parasites, H. pylori. Um, we're going to be looking at candida. We're going to it's also going to be looking at like the bacterial overgrowths that are in there, autoimmune triggers. It's going to also tell us how well our immune system, that gut immune functioning is operating and um, also things like how well our body's detoxifying. So the GI map is a really, really good one. And if you get the GI map and you're still struggling, the other test is an organic acid test, which is a urine test. And that's the the, the gold standard for testing for mould. Okay. So we've had so many questions we haven't had time to get to. <laughs> Message here saying, is coffee good for the gut? Coffee contains lots of polyphenols, which is good, but it depends on how we're actually having it. And the quality of the coffee is well. Agreed. Yeah. So for... I tell all my clients and all my clients are women, please don't have coffee on an empty stomach. Pair it with a meal. Otherwise, we're going to be going straight into that cortisol stress response again. And then we're either going to be pooping or we're going to get jittery or something else is going to happen. I always remember an interview that Kate Winslet did and they were talking about, this is years ago in her diet, she was like, she she started every day with a a coffee and a cigarette to get what she called the Andy McDowell's moving. So definitely efficient. Um, Tia, thank you so, so much. Thanks for being with us on this episode of Farmer's Kitchen. You can tune in live every single Friday afternoon between 2 and 5 on Dubai Eye 103.8.